0: You know, we were told so many times, New York won't shut down, America won't shut down, Broadway will never shut down. So we, we, had this, we had this kind of accelerated drive into a sense of understanding quite how enormous the shift was.
1: Good morning, this is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm Andrea Pineda-Salgado. Broadway has officially been back open since September, but it's not entirely the same as it was before. Even beyond the COVID-19 vaccine checks and the masking requirements, it's different. Because unlike a movie or a TV show, a live performance is new every time. The directors, actors, writers, and crew can adjust and adapt. The brains behind the Lehman trilogy have done just that since the pandemic upended our lives. They've asked themselves the hard questions and have reapproached the work. And after sold-out runs in London, the Lehman Trilogy is now on Broadway until January 2nd. The story is much more than the spectacular collapse of the Lehman Brothers, which triggered the largest financial crisis in history. It's the history of everything that led up to that point. Today, Epicenter's Mitra Kalida speaks with award winning actor Adrian Lester, who plays Emmanuel Lehman, and playwright Ben Power. We've linked to them in our show notes so you can learn more about the incredible work they've done, which could by itself fill an entire episode or two. Before we begin, a quick message from our friends and sponsors at McKinsey and Company.
2: Find out about the biggest ideas in business on McKinsey's Insights app, where you can listen to podcasts like our flagship show, The McKinsey Podcast. We're so not tuned in to the dynamic going on for the current employees. What matters to them most? Or watch our author talk series featuring law professor Dorothy A. Brown.
3: 60% of black college students don't graduate. And when I came across that statistic, I got so depressed
2: and read lots of articles about, for example, the next normal, where you can learn about the coronavirus's latest impact on business. To hear, see, and read more, download McKinsey's Insights app now. Now, back
1: to the show. Here's Mitra, Adrian, and Ben.
2: What I wanted to begin
3: with if we could put ourselves pre COVID, and if each of you could just tell me how you encountered this work and what your reaction to it was.
0: So I first heard about the existence of this play, the Lehman Trilogy, an Italian play in uh, 2016, when Sam Mendes told me about it, and he had heard about it, and that it was a very long uh, piece of work, that it took place over two parts, and that it had something to do with the bankruptcy and demise of Lehman Brothers Back. And that was all we knew. And then uh, we commissioned a literal translation of that full Italian text and read that. And that was startling because then what we got was not really a play about the autumn of 2008. It was a play that began in 1844 and told this immigrant story, this Jewish story, this story about the building of America and the building of New York City and the building of the structures of Western capitalism told through this family. So that was my first encounter. And we then went on a very long journey trying to work out how to adapt that text for an English-speaking audience.
3: Adrian, how about you?
2: Sam asked me to be involved when they were, I think there were six actors then, I think. And um, I had a clash of projects. So at that point, I couldn't be involved. And, um, And then years later, I went to see it in the West End and was amazed at... (laughs) <laughs> the stamina of the performers <laughs> and the, the sort of genius quality of invention that the whole thing uses to tell its story, this theatrical convention that is at once very, very, very old, but at the same time in Sam's hands and the actor's hands was incredibly new and refreshing, but telling, asking the audience to use their greatest tool, which was their imagination.
3: And so what's the, I think you can see where I'm going with this, but what was the evolution of the work because COVID, but so many other factors that COVID has brought to the fore, whether it's capitalism, race relations, just tell me how that affected the work.
2: Um, From my point of view, I think it's exactly what Sam said when he made his speech in that because of the pandemic and because of the events that occurred during the pandemic, and the way we've explored how we work as a, as people, we have come to understand more about race, more about gender, more about sexuality, and more, I think, about um, workers who we normally not notice, people who we societies had held as not being really important, unskilled uh, as they're called workers, and and you go into a lockdown and suddenly you realize that. Everyone is equally important to make things um, run. Though these elements filtered into uh, our approach to the to Ben's text, and um, with Ben on board, we asked ourselves some tricky questions. And Ben daily wrote new lines, changed the the structure of certain speeches, added moments, sort of um, reapproached the work.
0: Sam, you want to pick up on that? Um, I mean, I think uh, an important thing to say is that, you know, I first started thinking about the play, I guess, before the election of Trump, before the referendum in the United Kingdom that changed mm-hmm. our relationship with the world. The play uses the past to understand the present moment. And so as the present moment has changed, which it has dramatically and in myriad ways since 2016. Um, So the play has evolved as well. And then to live through everything that's happened in the last 18 months, you know, we, those of us who were working on the play in 2020 went through the experience of shutdown. You know, we did four previews. So, you know, we were told so many times, New York won't shut down, America won't shut down, Broadway will never shut down. Like literally, they were saying that on Wednesday and on Thursday everything closed, So we, we had this, this kind of accelerated drive into a sense of understanding quite how enormous the shift was.
3: And is there something meta about that and Lehman Brothers itself?
0: I mean, I think there's definitely a sense that there's a big thing about theatre as an act of imagination and what happens in finance with abstraction and the story that the play tells about the increasing divorce between they move into metaphor that the the financial structures that the company are building goes on and I, I don't think that we understand what it was like to be working at lehman brothers in 2008 necessarily because we lived through the those days in march 2020 but there was def, there's definitely a sense of personal experience mirroring large global events and when you watch in the play Bobby Lehman trying to deal with the day in 1929 when the Wall Street crash is happening around them. You know, I think we all felt this sudden rush into uncharted waters. And that has completely informed the work that has happened on the play. Also, it's really important to say that the play is built on three actors and it's written for the three actors and has evolved around them. And so changing an actor changes everything about the the piece and this version of the play that's playing at the niederlander now is a version of the play made for with and by adrian
3: was it always conscious about race because i i actually didn't know some of that history of lehman brothers i don't know if you wrote that in more recently but um slavery was overtly mentioned was that an insertion was that always there
0: Yeah, the sense of the brothers' involvement in the cotton trade and by obvious extension their involvement in slavery has always been in the piece. I think the journey that we've been on since and since really Park Avenue Armoury and the conversations that began when we brought the play to New York for the first time was about how to be really clear about what the sort of moral relationship between the company at that point and then going forward between the company and the cotton industry was, and uh, the section which was written actually before the pandemic, but which I think just gets more and more you you hear it more and more loudly is the speech that the French doctor Dr. Beauchamp has at the end of the first part when he's sitting with Maya Lehman, who has you know in the, in a very is very emotionally tied to the south sort of on a personal level, and the doctor. Is the person one step removed from the family, but very much in the heart of the play, who is able to say, you have to understand what this was and what this meant and the crime that you have been integral to committing.
3: Adrian, do you have thoughts on that? And then if feel free to talk about your kind of own casting and what you think that brings to the show, because literally your presence, I felt, was revolutionary, right? Reflecting on this history.
2: Um, I, I can't be uh, objective about the result. Like, I, I've never seen myself do it, so I can't speak on those levels, but... Um,
3: I can be objective. You were fabulous.
2: <laughs> but, uh, but... um. Spe- speaking the lines, I think there's a um, having me do that this role and play someone who is pleased about the amount of money they're making off cotton uh, with the other two brothers creates an indictment of the whole process. Without my skin colour on the stage, it becomes very it becomes much trickier for the production to take its contextual stance. There's a point where I you I really saw it where I, where I take the cotton out of the case and have it in my hands. And a couple of people have said, just just me with my hands walking across the stage with that in my hands at that, pit in that time, they can see the play operating on so many levels. And um, of course, I'm, I'm just picking up my prop and walking across the stage, <laughs> but uh, people are getting this, this, sort of, this sort of bounce back. Uh, and even after that moment of talking about slavery, the play walks a very fine line in showing you the Lehman Brothers, giving you a, a, a strict context that the production knows how we're looking at them but at the same time the production doesn't judge them because you have to draw your own conclusions otherwise the drama is destroyed
3: and it's interesting because you're not the only character kind of bending yourself right so visibly you're a black actor but the other actors and yourself included if i'm not mistaken are bending on gender on age on yep. uh and so there was something about that that, to your point, suspends the audience. I mean, it, it does all the things that theatre does so well, but in a way that I've never seen done
0: before. I think your your point is a good one, that, the, that what you're watching is three storytellers who are going to ask you to believe in them as a huge variety of different things, you know, um, and they are going to cross lines of gender and race and you know, Adrian spends most of the evening playing Emmanuel Lehman, a white cotton merchant. Simon Russell Beale, who does not look like a eighteen year old Jewish debutante. Is going, to, is going to try and convince, is going to try and become that for you. And so... Um, <laughs> and does it I, so I well. It is. It is an I mean, act. I almost had like a crush on him, I'm telling you, right? <laughs> like, she, like, she's gorgeous. She appears. I mean, no, you like you all thought, like a thousand people fall in love with her. Um, it's, um, it the whole thing is this huge act of imagination. And I think the point Adrian makes about how precise the storytelling mechanism has to be and how a piece of underscore or a slight turn of the revolve or a, a different placement on the stage because it's like a, a balloon being kept afloat the, the precision of it is is absolutely integral and you can change meaning with a tiny uh, a tiny adjustment so that the whole the whole process is about refining and i think you know one of the reasons why it's so hard to learn as a show and why the work that Adrian's done this year coming into it has been so amazing is because of that.
3: Yeah, yeah. So um, zooming out from the planned production, there's just two areas. I wonder if you could apply, you know, literally the lessons of Lehman Brothers Collapse and what Lehman Trilogy is trying to teach us, if you will. And so what, you know, what reflections um, on workplace do you think that this might have? And the second is kind of, you know, what we've been talking about of capitalism the global economy that you think in some ways are like more resonant than ever
2: um as we deal with futures and trade on the idea of something happening in the future and returns coming back to us in the future the idea of trading moving from trading on things to the idea of things is a very important thing and i think that the pandemic has shown us that the the we've we have slowly slowly become attached to the idea of things rather than people, and that that whole thing got reset in the pandemic. People began to ask questions about power structure. People began to ask questions about you know what's in a name. What if you stamp a name on something? Suddenly, it's worth three times, four times, five times as much as the same product without the name, and so on. Um, uh, and we are, we are in the middle of asking ourselves all these questions. And so, like Ben said, it's, it's a balloon that you keep in the air. No one has all the answers. But I think we as the company, as artists, are doing our job by taking a lens, uh, allowing the audience to look at a certain part of the world and ask those questions. When thing, the idea of things become more important than people, what starts to happen to, um, to industry, to trade, to To, to, in a sense, morality in a way. So powerful.
1: I'll repeat what Adrian just said. When the idea of things becomes more important than people, what starts to happen? Now, ask yourself this. When people become more important than things, what starts to happen? Well, we're seeing it. If you've listened to any of our recent episodes, you'll know that taxi drivers banded together to get city officials to significantly expand their financial relief program. You'll also know that delivery drivers did the same to push the city council to pass six bills, ensuring some basic protections. There are so many examples of our neighbors choosing people over things here in New York City. And at Epicenter, we're grateful to be a part of it. Finally, before we go, a few of us from the team want to share what we're thankful for this year. People, not things.
3: Hi, my name is Kim Narasetti. I'm an editor at Epicenter. I lost both of my parents within four and a half months of each other this past year. I was crippled with grief, but I'm thankful that I now find joy in everyday life, in my kids, in my crazy pets, and in streaming services. Happy Thanksgiving.
2: Hey, everyone. I'm Daniel Plaza, Epicenter's community manager. This year... I'm particularly grateful for the healthy bodies and minds that allow me, my family, and my friends to share our love with one another.
0: Hi everyone, my name is Janelle and I am Epicenter's operations manager. This year, I am thankful to have had the health and the means to travel safely back home to visit with my friends and my family.
3: Hi everyone, my name is Macarena. I am Epicenter's executive assistant And this year I am extremely grateful for our baby boy, Mateo, who was born last April.
1: Hi, I'm Danielle Hyams. I'm the editorial director at Epicenter. And this year I'm very grateful for all of you. I was around when Epicenter was just a concept and it could never have gotten to where it is now without all of our neighbors and friends and supporters. So thank you and have a great Thanksgiving. Finally, me, Andrea. And aside from hosting this podcast, I'm the community reporter here at Epicenter. I'm thankful to have seen New York City open itself back up again. I'm also thankful to have received the COVID-19 vaccine, which allowed me to be around friends and family with a little less social distancing. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks for supporting us as we do our best to support our community. We couldn't do it without you. And if you're not already a member, sign up today by using the link in our show notes. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Karavika. You can find more of their music on their website, linked to in our podcast description.